The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is best-selling author Paul Brown. He's a former writer and editor at Business Week, Inc., and Financial World, in addition to Forbes. And he also writes for the New York Times. He's written, co-written, and ghosted numerous bestsellers, including Customers for Life with Carl Sewell. And his books have sold more than 3 million copies and made nearly every bestseller list. Paul is also a contributing editor to both the Conference Board Review and MIT Sloan Management Review. He's a graduate of Rutgers College and Rutgers University Law School and a member of the New Jersey and Massachusetts Bars. And I understand, Paul, that you don't want us to hold that against you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's more important. Rutgers University Law School keeps threatening to revoke my degree, so perhaps we should... uh downplay that. You know, it, it, was, <laughs> this is, I, it was a classic case of what do you do if you got good grades in college and you don't know what you want to do when you grow up. And so I went to law school. I'll tell you the world's quickest story. So I went at night, and there were 60 of us who started, 40 finished, 30 passed the bar. And of the 30 of us who passed the bar, there were three who should have been lawyers. It's, it's really true. There's there's a woman who loved bond law. She just thought bond law was the sexiest thing imaginable. And she's now deputy bond counsel at the Port Authority of New Jersey. We had a guy who thought everybody should be in jail for being bad people. He's now a prosecutor in a big city. And we have we had a guy who loved the tax code, bless his little heart. And he's now a tax lawyer. So those people should have been lawyers, and uh, I should not have been. You're a writer. <laughs> Are we back? Okay, so you actually uh, did just what you're talking about uh, today with our audience, and that is you took control of your own future. You've got a new book out today, uh, due out in June 2014, actually. It's called Own Your Own Future, How to Think Like an Entrepreneur and Thrive in an Unpredictable Economy. Uh, let's talk about that book for a minute, and I'm going to ask you the obvious question. Why do we need to think like an entrepreneur to own our own futures? In fact, a lot of our listening audience today are already entrepreneurs, and they have made that leap to control their own destinies, which that that's kind of a, an oxymoron because even as an entrepreneur, there are things that are out of your control. But none, <laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, they have right. made that so- leap to attempt to control their own futures. Right, when when the great lies of all time. I'm married to an entrepreneur, and I, I now run my own business. And, and our favorite line of all time is, I want to start my own business so I can control my life. Right. Nothing nothing is further from the truth. You no, know, the, the, the people who are listening who are entrepreneurs are just so much smarter than I am. I wanted to be a, a magazine guy from about the age of eight when I got a subscription to Sports Illustrated. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to write feature stories. I didn't care if it was People or Cosmopolitan or, or Fortune or whatever. I just wanted to write feature stories for magazines. And I think a lot of people 
were like that. They pictured what they thought their life was going to be. You know, they were going to work for a company or they'd become a doctor and and everything would just follow, follow along the way they wanted for the next 40 or 50 years. Well, you don't have to go any further than the daily paper to realize that that doesn't work anymore. So mm-hmm. what everybody has to do is gain the skills that a lot of the people listening already have to think entrepreneurially and put that thought into action because the only person you really can count on these days for your economic future is you. Right. And when you say that we have to own that own future, what are some of the traits of entrepreneurs? What are some of the characteristics that they have that others need to adopt and that, you know, Perhaps you can even give some of our entrepreneurs some advice about how to reinforce those kinds of skills and uh, control their future in an even more dramatic way. Thank you for asking me my favorite question in the universe, (laughs) and we didn't even rehearse this. This is so exciting. (laughs) When most people think about entrepreneurs, what they do is they think of Oprah or they think of the people who started Google or they think of Bill Gates mm-hmm. or Howard Schultz and Michael. I mean, fill in your favorite entrepreneurs. And if all you did was look at those people and what they did, you'd say, well, there's nothing to learn. There's absolutely nothing to learn. You had to be Oprah to start Harpo. You had to be Bill Gates to start Microsoft. And that's absolutely positively true. But, and the interesting thing that we did in Own Your, Own Your Future was instead of looking at what they did, we looked at how entrepreneurs think, successful entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, people who have started two or more companies. And if you look at the way they think, it's remarkably similar. It's actually eerily similar. So the, the common image that you get from watching movies and TV and all that, the entrepreneurs or somebody, you know, they're gunslingers, they bet it all on one roll of the dice. Well, it turns out that that's not the way people actually do it in the real world. So what the best entrepreneurs do, and I'm sure many of your listeners follow this as well, is the very first thing they do is they determine, hey, what is it I want to do? And you can't underestimate the importance of desire. As you said, Kelly, that when you're getting underway, there are going to be obstacles, there are going to be things that go wrong, and if you don't have that desire, if you don't have what they say in Texas, the want to, the want to get it to. done, I love that. You, you're just going to give up because it's too hard, it's raining, it's snowing, the customer was mean to me, I didn't get the order, I was counting on it, and you're just flat out going to give up. Well, you can say, I'm going to go into a business where there's no obstacles, and if you find one, please give me a call. Or (laughs) you're going to to go down a path that you really want to go down because it's important to you for whatever reason. So step step one that the most successful entrepreneurs have in common is the desire. They want to do something. My wife really wanted to start an internal communication firm. All her company does... um, Davison Company, give them a call. All her company does is work with Fortune 200 companies about how to communicate with their employees. My wife was an employee once. She just hated the way 
people tried to communicate. She just thought it was terrible. She saw all this potential being wasted as employees rolled their eyes. And she said, you know, if you could get through to people and engage and motivate them, companies could do great things. She had this overwhelming desire to make this happen. Right. And it, it's common with all successful entrepreneurs. Okay. Once you have that desire, the next step is to take a small step. Again, the image is I'm going to take all the money out of my bank account. I'm going to live on my credit cards and bet it all. Well, no. What the most successful people do is they take a small step toward their goal. I want to start a pizza company on Main Street. I want to open a pizza shop. Well, you could go around forever saying, okay, I'm going to raise money. I'm going to get investors. I'm going to do this and that. You could do that. But while you're doing that, you're wasting time. Nothing's happening. No money's coming in. Or you could say, I think I want to open a new pizza shop on Main Street. Let me go down on Main Street and ask people, hey, if I open a pizza shop here, what do you think? And you, you could find out one of three things. One is, sure, great idea. We need a pizza drink. Two, no, nah, you know, one block up. Fred's place is really good. I don't, I don't think I'd give you a try. Or three, you hear maybe. Okay. But you're not out of anything. If people said the competition is just going to be too daunting, you haven't wasted that time raising money. You haven't wasted that time looking for a location. You haven't wasted time. You, you had this idea. You tried it. They said no. On to the next. Mm -hmm. If they said maybe, we'll get to that in a second. And if they said yes, you say, okay, now we're on to something. So if they said maybe or yes, you've taken this small step, you pause, and you build off that learning. So you took a step, you learned something. Now you build off that learning. So let's say they said maybe, because that's the worst situation. <laughs> yeah. So then you go, you go back to people, and you say, you said maybe, how come? Well, Fred's down the street is really good, but it takes forever. You place an order, they say 20 minutes, sometimes it's 20 minutes, sometimes it's two hours, and you go, hmm, okay, so there could be a market here, and I've got to make a good pizza because otherwise people won't come back, but maybe the way I differentiate myself here is some variation on the Domino's idea, 30 minutes or less. You, you call us, and if we say it's going to be done in 30 minutes and you're coming in for pickup, if it's not done in 30 minutes, it's free. Mm -hmm. And so you take a small step, you find out what you learn, you build on that learning, and now you say, and again, you're not raising money, you're not renting a shop, you go back to these people and say, hmm, if I open a pizza place and we make good pies and I guarantee that when you came to pick up it was there or free, would you give me a shot? And they say, well, yeah, I might. And now you're on to something and you've done all this and you've confirmed a market in a relatively short period of time and you've confirmed it without spending very much money. Right. And so what you have done is you have mitigated your risks. Instead of just jumping all in, you took that small step. You did just a little bit of research that didn't take a lot of time and didn't cost you a lot of money, but it allowed you to take a calculated risk as opposed to jumping all in into something that you didn't have any information about. Right. And so you hit on two things right there. That, let me pause and emphasize. One you're absolutely right. The best entrepreneurs are not risk-takers. They're calculated risk-takers. And as you just said, there's a huge, huge difference of that. The other thing implicit in this approach is, okay, it may not work. 
X number of businesses don't work out for whatever reason. Okay. If you're betting every nickel you have on opening this pizza joint and it doesn't happen, well, now you're in a lot of trouble. you mm-hmm. got no more nickels. Right. And it's going to be hard to go back to people who gave you money and say, look, I know I failed last time, but, you know, give me more money. You know, even my mother would look at me funny <laughs> if I did that. But if you took this calculated risk with a limited amount of capital and instead of putting down every nickel you owned, you put down 10% or 20% of the money you had. Now you still have more money in reserve to try again if it didn't work out. And if it did work out, well, terrific. Now you've got capital to support the business and expand. So, again, it's the small steps. Taking small steps are pivotal to success. Okay. Paul, I want you to hold that thought right there. We need to take a break. But when we get back, I want you to finish out the steps that you're going through. And then I want to talk about how people can apply that in uh, the companies that they work for. So you're listening to Smart Companies Radio on blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. Your product outshines the competition, so why aren't you outselling them? You're meeting sales projections, but the bottom line just isn't what it should be. Technology is changing rapidly and impacting your ability to perform. Something needs to change, but you just can't put your finger on what. I'm Patrick Shore, your host at The Hut, where we tackle these and other issues. The Hut is a safe place where we can explore what it takes to not only stay in front of the competition, but make it irrelevant. So come on in, kick off your shoes, and join the conversation every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio Network. The Hut, your path to a stronger, thriving, profitable business. It's true, who you know is important, but what you know and how you apply that knowledge is what helps accelerate your career. Benedictine College's Executive MBA program is the only one-year executive MBA program in Kansas City. The North Johnson County campus and weekend class times are convenient and allow you to learn from world-class thought leaders and collaborate with other executives who intend to make a difference in their business and their community. Go to benedictine.edu slash EMBA. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with Paul Brown. He is a best-selling author who has a book coming out in June 2014 called Own Your Future, How to Think Like an Entrepreneur and Thrive in an Unpredictable Economy. And Paul has been taking us through some of the different steps that you need to consider and to go through in order to be a successful entrepreneur and basically he uses the act learn and build model where you you act on a passion of course no ideas get anywhere unless you take the first step and then you take some small steps not a all-in roll of dice you could lose everything on that one move kind of step but a little step test some things out learn from it build on what you've learned and uh, paul we went to break right at that point so bring us up to the next level Okay, you, you you did great. Let me just underscore something that I thought you triggered while you're talking about, where you said nothing happens until you act. Most of the people listening know that everybody else doesn't, and that's a huge, huge, huge point. That you meet people who say, "I have a great idea for a book," <laughs> well, but they've never done anything. I have this wonderful idea for a company. And they don't do anything. Well, if all you do is think these great thoughts about what you want to do and don't do anything about them, at the end of the day, all you have is thoughts. Nothing happens. So I just want to underscore that and give gold stars to everybody who actually 
acted and tried to make their ideas come true. So it's act, learn, build, repeat. The, the process works like that over and over and over again. The repeat part is so important because implicit or explicit in the acting part is you're taking small steps. So you're going to take a small step, you're going to learn from that small step, you're going to build on that learning, and then you take another small step. And so it goes. So what will happen is, let's go back to our pizza example. So you've identified a location, people have told you your differentiation should be that you're going to guarantee the pizza will be ready when I go and pick it up. Okay, so you're building on that, and now you get into the marketplace and sales are not as wonderful as you thought they were going to be. Okay, so you acted, you learned, you, mm-hmm. you built, and you thought it was pretty good. And sales are okay, but they're not great. And so you start talking to people again, and you say, well, how come? You know, you're a loyal customer, Kelly, and I don't see you as often as I could. And you're going to say something like, you know, finding parking downtown is a problem, or, I, you know, it's, 15 minutes before I'm going to go home and I realize I don't have anything for dinner and if I call you it's another half hour and then I've got to get there and pick it up and you start telling me that what you really want, yes the pizza is really good, but if you had my pizza in your freezer you'd be happier because then you could, if, if then, then it truly becomes an impulse, not purchase but an impulse use mm-hmm. because you have it, and then when you realize that there's nothing to make for dinner, you go, oh, yeah, wait, and i got Paul's pizza in the, in the freezer. I can just heat it up. So the process is iterative, and as you go through, people will tell you what they like, and they will also tell you what they don't like, and you have to listen to that and change. So it could turn out that the idea of this pizza place becomes a bake-your-own-place where you actually don't sell pizzas, but all you do, people come in and pick it up. It, it could turn out to be you're going to become a pizza manufacturer and you're going to be in the local supermarket. It could, it could turn out to be lots of different things, and you're never going to know unless you keep going through the act, learn, build, repeat model. Right, and I think a really key point that you hit on there is with every step of the way, you talk about talking to your customers, and that is so important because so many business owners get an idea in their head. They do act on it, but they just keep trying to force a square peg into a round hole, and they don't go out and ask their customers or their potential customers, what is it that you want? What, what, what is right about this idea? What is, how could it be tweaked? Uh, and, and they just keep trying to force some, their original thought, sometimes for years, and it nothing ever progresses. In fact, you end up losing on it. So it's, talking to the customers is so important. It, it, it really is. And it's funny, what you hit on, the, I called the book Own Your Future, and I hesitated for a really long time with that title for that very reason. That it, it could make it sound, if you, didn't, if you didn't think about it, you own your future and only you. Well, no, the customer and the potential customer will tell you what you want to do. So the, the concept of owning your future is you're taking direction of where you want your future to go. But the only person, who, you know, if the customer doesn't say yes, nothing else matters. So you're absolutely right. You, you want to constantly, constantly, constantly get that feedback. And it's lovely that you think you have the right answer. But if the customer doesn't, 
you're going to be very hungry because there's not going to be any money coming. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of that pizza to eat on your own. So, <laughs> so let's take this back around to folks who aren't entrepreneurs necessarily. And and I believe that the, really the premise of your book isn't that you have to be an entrepreneur and own your own business in order to apply this. You can apply these within any company that you work for. So take us to that next stage where the really where the book was intended to hit, and that is people who are working for companies, uh, how can they own their future, like the entrepreneurs we just talked about? Okay, so there, so there are two things, and you hit on one, and let me bring out the other. The harder path, actually, is to do the co- corporate entrepreneurship stuff, and let's get to that to a second. But I talk to so many people who say, I have this idea for a business, or I have this idea for a second business. You know, the entrepreneurs in your audience have an idea, and they don't act for whatever reason. If they're an entrepreneur because their current business is taking up their own time, if they're working for a company, they're petrified about losing a paycheck. And so what I always tell these people is, okay, if this act, learn, build, repeat model works, which which it does, and if it's premised on the assumption that you're going to take small steps, there's a hybrid position available to you, which is you start stuff, nights, weekends, hobbies, in your spare time. Mm -hmm. So you're the world's best maker of birdhouses. Everybody loves your birdhouses, and you think you can make a living at it. Okay, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But there's no particular reason to quit your day job or there's no particular reason to shut down your current entrepreneurial venture, you start doing it nights and weekends. Maybe you go to the local crafts fairs, you know, that they always hold and the towns hold periodically. You try to sell them. Maybe you create a website. You put it up there and you see what the response is to that. So you've taken a small step. I make these birdhouses. Let's go see if anybody is interested in it. You sell them at crafts fairs. You sell them online. And you find out if people if people buy them, you're onto something. If they don't, you're not. Again, you're not out very much, but you took a step and you tried. So right. that's that's the hybrid step. Now, let's get to the corporate situation. Again, it goes there are two there are two paths. The harder path is you're working for a gigantic, enormous megacorp, and you're going to try to make them entrepreneurial. <laughs> well, it's really, really, really hard. The model, the model works. I learned to repeat this work, but corporations are inherently risk averse and they're bureaucratic, and getting capital is really a pain in the butt. So, what you need to do is start incredibly small. You start with a project that you know, in essence, can't fail. You go through this model. You steal in quotes, resources, you know, you're borrowing people. Can you give me an hour here as long as the copying machine isn't being used? You run off 10 copies for that, and it's all internal. Mm-hmm. And you then go to your boss and say, look what I did. I took this little step, we built on it, and I've got a new product, i got a new service for you. It's really hard, but it can be done. But again, the option here is you're going through it, and it's going to work, and your boss says, great. Or your boss says, it's really very nice brown, but that's not what we're paying you for. You've then proven to yourself two things. One, you have an idea that worked. Or two, at the very least, 
you've proven to yourself that you have the ability to start something new, and then you can take those skills elsewhere. You can take it to a new corporation, and when they say, well, tell me about a new initiative you were in charge of, Mm -hmm. you can point to what you did at the company. Or you can say, you know, this is a really good idea I stumbled on working for this publishing company, and the bosses want to do it, so maybe I'll start a newsletter doing this. And then, you know, you can go through the Act, Learn, Build, Repeat model again and see if it works. So it's harder within existing corporations, but that also, just by the very fact it's more difficult, lends itself to more opportunities. Right. And so uh, just to wrap up here, whenever you try that in a corporation and it doesn't work, you may have opened up the door of opportunity to go out and be an entrepreneur independently. Uh, so Absolutely. Or you can do it part-time mm-hmm. or at the very least you can take these skills. The skills are not wasted. You can take them to another company. Yes. You're going to need these skills in the years and months and weeks ahead. And you've gained them, so that's a good thing, too. Exactly. And that's what the entire message is, basically, is that even if the existing situation that you're in, that it doesn't pan out, that you still opened two or three more doors of opportunity, as you just described. So, Paul, we just scratched the surface. Head uh, to the very big overview, 30,000-foot-up overview of the book. There's a lot more detail in it. And if people were interested in finding out more about the book or purchasing it, it's due in June 2014. Where would they be able to get a copy? Uh, it's published by Amacom, the part of the American Management Association. And if you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, you can order order it online right now. They'll give it to you the day it comes out, and your local bookstore and library will have it as well. Okay, so several places you can get that book. And, Paul, if they'd like to get in touch with you, obviously you write for several publications, but how could they get a hold of you most directly? Oh, it's simple, and I answer email. It's Paul B. Brown, all smushed together, no periods, no nothing, at gmail.com. That's about as simple as it can get. So, Paul, thank you so much for being on our show today. Really appreciate your insights, and there is an entrepreneur in all of us in some form or another. So thanks for helping us talk about how to develop that. And if you'd like to learn how to grow your business, please visit IThinkBigger.com or follow us on Facebook at Thinking Bigger Business Media or on Twitter at IThinkBigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.